Oh, boobies. Oh, no, I use it all the time. I think it's fairly soft, but some people might think it's a bit rude. No, it's not rude. Uh, is it explicit content? Are we going to get flagged here? I don't think so. If you can say breast, you can say boobies, surely. And people say breastfeeding and all of that. So boobies, I don't think that's going to get flagged. Okay. We will roll with it. We will let the boobies in. <laughs> Welcome to Adelante, the podcast filled with inspiring stories of people embracing their uniqueness. I'm Alfonso Comino, your host. Our guest today is Luis Roy. Luis is the everything childbirth guru, a lactation educator, and the director of operation at Ferguson Women's Health in Shanghai. When my wife and I fell pregnant with our first daughter, Olivia, we felt lost in many ways. Not only we were first-time parents-to-be, but also we were living in a non-native country. Luis became our resource center. She helped us to understand breastfeeding inside out. It's fair to say that the knowledge we gained during her classes changed our lives, especially our daughters, for the better. Her laid-back, you've got this approach has given so many mothers confidence they never knew existed within themselves. In this conversation, Luis demystifies pregnancy, childbirth, breastfeeding, and more, highlighting the importance of natural methods that have, in some sense, fallen out of fashion. I feel privileged that I had the opportunity to attend classes to learn some of the information shared in this podcast before our first daughter was born. Sadly, many parents don't have such a privilege, and I hope this conversation serves as a small appetizer of how much there is to learn when it comes to childbirth, women's health, and breastfeeding. Topics I wish I had known more about before becoming a dad. Isn't that right, Amaya? Enjoy this conversation with Luis Roy. Luis, thank you so much for being here with us today. You're really welcome. Luis, you are a certified birth doula, a lactation specialist, the accredited La Leche League leader, a prenatal educator, and today you're the director of operations at Ferguson Women's Health in Shanghai, where we met. How can you say that in one single go without reading like I just did? Well, usually I just say it's boobies, bellies, and babies. <laughs> pretty much anything to do with that. Actually, because Ferguson Health is women's health, not strictly maternity. Although my specialty started more in maternity care, women's health does cover head to toe, gynecology, menopause, teen health, uh, sexual health. So it, it does branch out beyond the boobies, bellies and babies, but in a nutshell, there you go. Yeah, so we'll get to boobies, bellies and babies in a sec. Before we unpack that, I was thinking a really neat place for you to start a conversation is to say, you know, what you study was a little bit unrelated to what you're doing today. Can you tell us what you study back in the day and how it got you where you are today? <laughs> and like you said, back in the day was ancient history. My first formal degree was a bachelor's degree in archaeology and linguistics with a minor in anthropology. So I had a double major and uh, it was pretty much everything to do with human history, the human record. It fascinates me to this day, the aspect of human evolution and how we got here and how we can still see that behavior in our own bodies and our own babies. I guess the closest I've ever been to that topic is reading Sapiens yeah. a few times. Uh -huh. That's probably as much as I can relate, as much as I love that book. I only cannot compare with somebody with so much uh, pedigree as yourself. And how did you go from studying 
archaeology into working on the childbirth industry? Simultaneously, while I was doing my degree, I was working a lot in charities and non-government organizations in Australia. And I ended up doing a few assignments in different countries, found the, the focus that I had there was on women and children, all aspects of life, health, education. And so I ended up getting into the NGO side of things, which is where I met my husband in Kathmandu, in Nepal. But after I finished working in Nepal, I had been working a lot with women and children's health and just found that moving to Shanghai, uh, NGO work was more limited here. And I started focusing more on women and children, where the needs were in our current system and society here. So I ended up certifying as a childbirth doula and went from there with everything else related to it. The fact is that ever since I was a small child, I was working with babies because my parents were foster parents. We had babies around all the time and being exposed to small babies was something that was very common. So I ended up simultaneously coming back to women, pregnancy, birth and babies throughout every kind of aspect of the different field. And what were you doing in Nepal when you met your husband? Yeah. I was working uh, in a grassroots organization in Far East in Nepal and uh, program development. The programs that we were working on were primarily for income generating projects or awareness raising for girls and women against uh, sex trafficking and the vulnerability they had for being uh, trafficked and education for young girls who would otherwise not be sent to school would be working in tea fields and brick kilns and things like that. It was really incredible work. Right. And your husband was doing something similar? No, he's a photojournalist. Uh, He's now a commercial photographer, but he was a photojournalist in India and Pakistan. And we just crossed paths. The rest is history. Oh, and he is, if I'm not wrong, French-Canadian, right? He's French-Canadian, exactly, from Montreal. Awesome. I forgot that he was a photojournalist. He's still doing photography in China? He, yes, he owns a photographic studio here called Core Studio. So you mentioned you have foster parents and you had a lot of babies around. Do you keep in touch with all those babies that you had met through your life? No, my parents did keep a record and albums just in case anybody ever came back through and wanted to find out more. But usually when you're fostering, you recognize that as a child grows up in their new family and their forever family, they may be searching for their biological families, but they rarely look at the foster steps in between. So you do realize that you're an important snapshot of people's lives, but that's not necessarily part of their discussed history. That makes sense. A lot of some friends that do something similar. I don't know how it transpired 20 or 30 years down the line. Well, some people do end up keeping in touch. My parents did have a couple of families that they kept in touch with. Some of the kids they, that they helped with who were older would contact them in years to come. And my two older brothers are permanently fostered into our family. So obviously... They're just family. <laughs> and you were talking about how you met your husband in Nepal. And uh, one of the follow-up questions that I have just to close loose in about your husband is that you both have two children now. Yes, exactly. We have two kids. They're Anais, who is about to turn 11, and Luca, just turned nine. 
Um, and they were both born here in Shanghai. So we've been here together in Shanghai about 16 years. 16 years. Wow. So that takes me to childbirth, one of the areas where you specialize. And I guess having your own kids helps a lot with that. So can you estimate roughly how many childbirth have you assisted during your career? <laughs> yeah. You tell me you were going to ask that and I forgot to look it up. You think it's more than a thousand? Maybe not a thousand. I mean, it depends to be actually at the birth, maybe a few hundred. So I guess uh, that includes my two daughters. Yeah. Since you were there, at least for the first one. And I don't think you were in the room for a second one, but shortly after. So there you go. Nearly a few hundred, like you said. So if we include the uh, roundabout, the time before, the time after, the time during, it's a few thousand. A few thousand. Okay. I like how you casually say that. <laughs> Given your experience, what do you think are the most common misconceptions about childbirth? I think one of the most common misconceptions that we could break down is our society has come so far from knowing what birth is really about. We tend to feel like it's something that women are very powerless in and have no control and that they're at the mercy of the people controlling the situation. Whereas I would say more realistically is that it's like uh, travel where you have a guide and the people around you should be giving you suggestions or ideas or options so you can choose your own path. But being there is a helper to you rather than being the ones that are making all the decisions. So I think there's an agency that's been lost over time. I guess we're so used to being in control of so many things that we think we can determine everything. My childbirth, <laughs> having been there twice recently things happen that you really have no control, right? And you said that one of the misconceptions is about how people need to learn that they need to be guided and have choices and decide on the moment, right? And is that a good segue for you to tell us what a doula is and what does a doula do? Yeah, so a doula really is a guide. A doula is a childbirth assistant. It goes back to quite ancient times where women would have women from their household helping them through their labors and their birth. It's different to a midwife in that it's more about uh, assisting in every aspect, mental, emotional, physical, informational, rather than uh, a midwife focus, which is generally more of the medical is mother and baby okay. Um, and how can I have this birth happen in a way that mother and baby is okay? A doula is more of someone who is a a guide through the process and incorporates the whole family, be it partners, other children, grandparents, and just finding a way that helps them. I see. And so the midwife just focuses on the medical well-being and just executes and the doula provides that context so people can take more informed choices. So it looks different in every birth. For a childbirth doula, the glue holding together all the parts and working with different units, different people within the birth. And it could be physically helping someone feel more comfortable, uh, giving suggestions for positions or pain relief options to give informational advice, but it's not really advice. It's more, this is what's happening. Here are the pros and cons. And then parents can make their own choices. In an ideal situation, that's done by the hospital staff, but sometimes there isn't enough time for that. Also, a doula will be that uh, person in the middle to kind of go through pros and cons with families while they make their best choices. 
And obviously giving birth is the most life-changing event that any of us go through. And part of the things that you do, and what I got to know you first, if you do parenting lessons to soon-to-be parents, and I'm guessing like I was at the time, first-time parents that really think that they know where they're getting into, but truly they absolutely have no idea. So I highly enjoyed the lessons with you. Thank you. And I think we did in total, like 12 hours in total. Exactly. Yeah. And that sounds like a lot, but actually we still just brush the tip of the iceberg when it comes down to it. There's so much we can't cover, but we do our best. I highly enjoy it and I learned tons and I'm thankful for my wife to push for that. But I want to ask you, what are some of the topics that you enjoy teaching the most? Because there's so many, like you said, but pick some ones that you highly enjoy teaching other people about it? I think it's when I'm teaching about labor and birth, I love just taking it back to why does our body work in certain ways and how does that relate back to the anthropological and archaeological record? How did we evolve to do this? Because evolution, you know, natural selection works in ways that is advantageous to our species. So why is birth so hard for us? And what about it has our modern society made that hard rather than the actual fact of it? I have a, a character in my class that I often talk about called Cave Lady Kathy. And Cave Lady Kathy is the, you know, is our dim, dark, distant, uh, early hominid ancestor. And uh, how... The things that are happening in her body, the way her body was working is still happening today and how her setting evolved to make that happen. So how can we make our settings here similar? For example, Cave Lady Kathy, if she was under threat or danger, her labor would stop because she had to be able to get up, run away, save herself and her unborn child. And women who could do that would have survived and that evolutionary trait was passed on. But in our modern setting, threat or danger can just be perceived as the unknown and the body can recognize that what is unknown to a woman could be scary as a fight, flight, freeze kind of reaction. So if it's in a way creating this fear or adrenaline or a stress, the labor will stop. So women who come to a birthing center or a hospital away from their home, their bodies already recognize that they've left their home and they may be under quote-unquote threat, according to a primitive mind. But really, they're just coming to their place of birth. If once they get to their place of birth, things are loud and noisy and people come in and don't introduce themselves or they don't feel like they have agency or control, the body further perpetuates this idea of stress and adrenaline and the labor just stops. So we have so many C-sections in modern society because of arrest of labor or failure to progress at the labor, whereas if we actually just recognized that and made the labor rooms as comfortable as we could, as quiet as we could, as individualized as people needed them, we could just reduce C-section rate just like that. And this is one of the things we try to do at Ferguson Health. We make the rooms comfortable. We involve partners. We have candles and music and try to keep it calm so that the body can do what it needs to do. I was wondering how does people react when they hear about cave lady Kathy? Do they think <laughs> that it's uh, not relatable to them? Because obviously, like you mentioned, modern society have changed the way you approach things and they say, well, that doesn't apply to me today. Or do they realize, oh my God, it's true, it totally applies. It's, it's my preconceptions that from loaded some ideas that are incorrect today. So 
Does it go both ways? Yeah, most people are actually quite open to it. It does have this wow moment. It's an easy to understand concept. It's an easy to illustrate and demonstrate concept. So it's not really rocket science. Uh, we could take it back to something else in life. You know, when we have a romantic dinner, we do it in a place that is calm and cozy and quiet and with candles and lighting. And we, we have this setting for romance, for allowing our bodies to feel good. We just need to um, adapt the dialogue to birth. So most people have this aha moment, which I love. The other classes that I love with the mind-blown moment are, I, I love teaching the breastfeeding off because there's so much myth and misinformation about breastfeeding out there. And there's so many things that I can just say. Well, let's go right into it because I know you're a lactation educator. So take it away. I don't want to stop your story you're going to say about breastfeeding. Start whatever you want and then I'm sure I'll have a thousand questions. <laughs> well, you know, a big part of it goes back to the same thing. We evolved to breastfeed babies. It isn't always easy and that's why I have a job. So it's not to say birth is easy, just go out in the field and have a baby. We don't do that. We do sometimes need help. We have different populations and different expectations. And breastfeeding isn't always easy. I have a full-time job just doing that alone, helping families get back to breastfeeding goals. But if we start off understanding what a baby needs, if we start off understanding how the human body works with breastfeeding, we can preempt so many problems. We can steer that journey in a way that's more successful. And this is something that we lost a lot of this innate knowledge over the generations in the quote-unquote Western culture. But Luis, I heard from the formula milk companies that what they do is magic mm -hmm. and they add so many new components that I couldn't even describe that we can not do ourselves and how wonderful it is. So how can somebody receive such message? Yeah, and this is one of the things with uh, unfettered marketing. For a long time, formula companies in many countries could say, this is a superior product. This is... A product that your baby needs. And if you're not doing this for your baby, you're really doing a disadvantage to your baby. So it's no surprise that families would switch to formula. You're speaking past tense. It's not legal anymore? Yeah, past tense. It's not legal in many countries uh, because there is a code for uh, the marketing of breast milk uh, substitutes, mm -hmm. which is formula. So code which prohibits in many countries that have ratified or signed this code. The code restricts the marketing in that it can't make any claims that aren't accurate. It can't say, this is better for you. Science says this is more proven. So we'll say like uh, things on it like researched or scientifically formulated or things like that. But they can't say, this is better for you than breast milk. So that has uh, helped, but there was a long time that wasn't the case. And the actual fact of it is that in uh, a medical degree, be it pediatrics or midwifery or obstetrics or nursing, there's actually very little required breastfeeding uh, training, which a lot of people are surprised about. So when they hear things that are told to them, they assume that it comes with Uh, a fair degree of breastfeeding training, which doesn't, that's a, another specialty in and of itself. So for a long time, there was this perception of formula is better for your baby. 
that has changed a lot. So this goes back again to that evolutionary aspect that babies are designed to need their parents. They're designed to be quite dependent on them, especially in the beginning. It can be really stressful for parents who look at their baby that's clamoring to be held and clamoring to suck and, and think that they're doing something terribly wrong. But actually, they're doing everything right and their baby's doing everything right. And sometimes we just need to sit in a quiet room with a baby and everything just works out. But we've come very far from that perspective. So one of my favorite things in the classes is talking about that. And how can parents today find uh, reputable information about this topic or parenting in general, since you say that professionals in the field might not be even educated on breastfeeding and they might have answers that are not medically supported. So how can people find information that can be trusted? Well, you know, it's really hard because all the information comes at parents. And I think this is why my job actually is not getting any easier. Social media is a wonderful tool for sharing information, but often that information isn't vetted or things have changed and it's not updated. Parents do get a lot of different resources that they have to filter through and a lot of peer-to-peer, parent-to-parent or mother-to-mother advice that they have to filter through. Some of it is fantastic. Some of it is terrible. (laughs) But how do you know as a new parent which one is correct or not? So why don't we do a quick game here and try to change that. I was thinking just as you were speaking, why don't we do a top 10 benefits of breastfeeding? (laughs) I, I think I could do it. I mean, top 10 benefits, one of the biggest thing everyone always talks about is the nutritional aspect for the baby. It's human milk for human babies, tailor-made, organic, eat local, you know, all the things we want for adults and for our children, we should also want for our babies. And I do the caveat if at all possible, because there are situations where breastfeeding doesn't work or parents choose not to. But the reality of it is that this is over-perceived or over-prescribed that people can't breastfeed or they're given obstacles in their way that aren't realistic or aren't real. So we'll go back to that. Top 10. Number one, it's, it's really tailored for the baby. Number two, it helps uh, the baby. We know a lot about um, the microbiome, the gut microbiome now. Part of the tailoring that breastfeeding does is that it, it's absolutely, you know, suited to the baby nutritional needs, but it's also suited to the baby's own microbiome. And the microbiome is all about, you know, everyone's on the bandwagon of probiotics, that probiotics, prebiotics, how that changes the field of um, epigenetics is burgeoning with all of this information that just the bacteria, the good bacteria in milk and how that affects the baby's intestinal system and their gut health actually changes their predispositions for disease, uh, even diseases that are genetically passed down from their parents. Some people will say genetics is predisposition for genetic illness is about 20% of the factor via their genes. The rest of it is via lifestyle and food and all of these things. So if we start that early with babies, uh, they are healthier. In a time of awareness, in the last couple of years of colds, flus, COVID, viruses, uh, one of the things people forget about with breastfeeding is that as uh, a mother is exposed to anything that her baby has or as she's exposed to some virus herself, her body starts making antibodies. 
and those antibodies are uh, given to the breast milk. So breastfeeding does actually, in a way, inoculate, vaccinate babies for certain uh, just daily viruses that they might come in contact with. This, of course, is no replacement for the routine vaccination schedule, but uh, it's certainly a supplement to it. And it's why breastfeeding babies tend to get less seriously ill. One of the most shocking things I learned during our classes was that you mentioned that this is a two-way communication cycle for yeah. producing this type of probiotics, that the baby provides information through the nipple about things that might need and the mom will generate and pass into the baby. My head still hurts from the explosion after I understood that. Look at you paying attention. Absolutely. Yeah. Trace elements of saliva enters the nipple and the mother's body basically scans that and says, what does the baby need? What does the baby need more of? Or is the baby sick? Uh, breast milk changes in consistency through day and night as the baby's different ages. The first milk is different for babies born prematurely. Their composition is different because the baby, the Mother's body recognizes that a premature baby has different needs than a full-term baby. It's mind-blowing fascinating. I love it. <laughs> and there is more. I mean, this is cheaper. It's yep. more convenient. You have less to clean. <laughs> and I'm, I'm talking as a, as a dad, you know, you can hear me. I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always ready. It's always ready. Poop smells better. <laughs> yeah. I remember also one of the stories you had, if somebody had a, a situation where it had to be heavily disrupt the flight plans. I think it was here in a Shanghai airport. Right? Uh-huh. I couldn't get hold to hot water to facilitate the formula milk. Imagine how stressful that situation would be versus just having the milk always ready 24-7 anywhere in the world. Yeah, exactly. So I've been on flights where uh, I've had my own babies and breastfed for various timelets with my own babies. I've had foster babies that we obviously did breastfeed uh, in that situation. Um and we're formula feeding for them. And I just, the ease of breastfeeding. So, I'm essentially just lazy. The ease of breastfeeding is so much, so much easier. If you could just feed your kids by just doing that, it's amazing. But yeah, I was on a plane once that was delayed on the tarmac and we weren't allowed off or on. And it was a, supposed to be a very short flight. And the, the family next to us just ran out of formula because they didn't pack so much. And uh, the baby was just screaming and screaming and screaming. And I felt really bad to be just, you know, contentedly breastfeeding my baby next to them. I almost wanted to offer to them, but I don't want to be that crazy lady on a plane. So what is your advice that you can give people that is on the fence, whether they should breastfeed or not? Maybe perhaps they don't want to do it because some influence within the circle. It could be the marketing thing that we mentioned before, but it could be some of their family members incorrectly advise them against because breastfed babies tend to be much bigger and bigger tends to mean better in some cultures when it comes to babies. So how can you tip people into the breastfeeding camp? Yeah. So you just said breastfed babies tend to be bigger, but I know you meant to say formula feeding babies tend to be bigger. Formula feeding. That is correct. Yes. Exactly. And many, um, in many times this is the case we've misunderstood how much babies need to be, to be eating. Uh, and what's normal for a baby. So when people are making their best decisions about anything, and this is their best, you know, it's their own decision. We just give information and support and everyone uses that to make their own best decisions. So I think with anything, whether it's buying a car, following a computer, choosing a hospital or deciding how you're going to raise your baby, how you're going to sleep, 
uh, how your baby's going to sleep, all of these things. You know, information is key. Research is key. It's quite understood that you don't just walk into a car dealership and take whichever car looks, you know. The first one that the car, the car salesman will ask you to buy. There might be a reason for that. <laughs> there might be a reason for that, exactly. So most people will do research for that and it's quite expected, but a lot of people don't research about breastfeeding. They say, oh, well, it's natural. It is natural, but it doesn't always come naturally. Um, and so much of the information around people is myth. The myth and misinformation around breastfeeding is just incredible, incredible. So I would really say if people are trying to decide if they want to breastfeed or not or how that's going to go, or even if they're sure or they just want it to go well to make sure they've got the best information, the, the key point is to attend to class, do some research, uh, read some accurate and up-to-date sources so that they can make you know a good decision for themselves and their families whatever that is mm -hmm. and part of that job that you have as educating people you were also you still are the leader of la leche league association here in in shanghai or china so i know that's a slightly complicated topic but what is la leche league and uh, what is the mission of that foundation So La Leche League uh, organization um, has been around for, for many decades. Uh, was started in the U.S. Um, as a mother-to-mother -mother breastfeeding support group, so supporting with information and just friendship. It started off primarily as mothers meeting together in groups at a time where many women weren't breastfeeding to share tips and information and Solidarity, you know, sometimes things can be hard. You have babies having a growth spurt. They can be wanting to feed a lot and just having someone else to say, yeah, this is hard. Uh, you're doing a great job. So it started off as a peer-to-peer -peer support, a mother-to-mother -mother support. And in essence, that's what it still is around the world. It's a global organization now. Uh, it's all nonprofit and all the leader positions, accredited leader positions globally. They're there as um, guides to guide conversation in meetings, to provide uh, free voluntary support, um, and to just uh, provide more of a, a peer support network, which doesn't replace certified lactation Uh, counselors or certified lactation consultants, but it's a first stop for many families. Um, and usually they're also going from both their training and their personal experience of parenting um, and being able to just provide a safe place and support for people. Right. And they also published a book, I don't know, a handful of years ago um, that is also uh, maybe a little bit outdated, but overall quite informative. Yeah, so actually uh, there's many, well, quite a few publications that they have. They have an excellent website as well with a lot of resources that are free and easily available. Uh, the book that I think you're referring to is a breastfeeding manual, basically, uh, called The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding. And I think it's up to its ninth edition, ninth or tenth edition now. Uh, and so it actually is updated as long as you've got the, the most updated edition. It gets updated every five to ten years. Um, and it truly is an incredible resource of 
breastfeeding and how that changes through the ages and stages um, of a baby, because that's also very different from age to age of baby. Yes. Yeah, it's an interesting book, and that's exactly the book I was referring to. I read that before our first daughter was born. You must be recommended it. My wife got it. (laughs) Possibly. They have another really excellent book called Sweet Sleep, which is all about uh, normal infant sleep and normal uh, infant behavior during days and nights and how to uh, accommodate that within families. And it really is a, a pleasant counterpart to or uh, opposite, actually, of many of the sleep books out there, which are very uh, formulaic, one-size-fits-all babies, which I would say is kind of a red flag in a parenting book if the book says that all babies will be the same and all babies can do this exactly the same way i think that's doing a disservice to your baby's only own personality so just for my information what is a sleep you know we have a two-year-old and a five-week-old so sleep is not a word in our vocabulary anymore (laughs) what is sleep (laughs) it's just a thing that single people do (laughs) sleep is a thing that single people do or that parents who've gotten through those early first few years it does get better and this is what i say to everyone it gets better it gets easier it changes in different ways but what makes it hard for parents is all this advice that you have to get it right and you have to get it perfect first time or you're going to spoil your baby i often tell people your baby's not broken there's (laughs) nothing wrong with your baby it's our aspects or our belief or our situation. There are other things we can change around this. And if we can accept our baby where they're at and adjust towards them at first, then we you can move together with your baby into a way that suits you both better. Exactly. Everybody says you want to sleep, but there's some good days and bad days. And you get better or either you get better or babies are different because it's much easier with the second one, I would say. Yeah, well, a big part of what's easier with the second one, and most parents will say this, is that you don't overthink. You've already figured out who you are as parents. You're you're adjusting that to a new family member, but you're not trying to filter out the advice of the world or for all the WeChat groups and all the things, try to figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. You've Mm -hmm. kind of figured out in a fair way what works for you. A new baby is a new baby is different, but you, you don't get so bulked down by the small stuff and you don't get so worried or concerned or confused by all the, the advice, the parenting advice that's out there. So, Louise, you've been helping parents, I think in Shanghai you said 16 years and before that you were in all other remote parts of the world like Nepal and Timor. What are some of the most memorable stories that you can recall from helping parents or new parents do you have anything that really comes to mind that say okay this is a really good story i mean there's so many good stories it's just so i mean the best thing about it is it's so different every single day and it's rarely formulaic i mean sure you do get a little bit tired of saying the same thing over and over again but seeing the human reaction of when you do explain something well or explain something in a way that makes sense or you're tailoring it to a family or their situation. It's always different. And that, it's one of the most amazing things. I've had <sighs> highs and highs and lows and lows um, of the joy of childbirth and the trauma of, of death. Um, but 
all in all, it's a pretty amazing field. It's a pretty amazing opportunity. Something that you just mentioned is that you also help people to manage the lows. And obviously, I don't want to brush that away. I think what you do is help people through what could be described the worst day of their life when things go wrong, because childbirth has a another side of the coin as well. And a lot of people out there, I don't have any statistics, I'm sure you do, but many people out there suffer from having children or if probably worse that something happened through the children while pregnant or right after. So I recently had a friend who went through one of those cases and I find myself a little bit useless on the selection of words or even the comfort I could provide. So my question to you as a professional is, how do you help people that go through what is probably the worst day on their life? I mean, the first things that I would say to people who are trying to look for ways to help or support a friend uh, if they're going through a miscarriage or stillbirth or um, the loss of a child uh, or even just complex medical problems, no one in the world has the right thing to say. So it's okay if you don't have the perfect answer to make them feel better. You can't. There's no way to make that feel better. There are a few things that we can look at to say. And, you know, one of them is just saying, gosh, I don't even know what to say to you right now, but I'm just so glad that you trust me to tell me. And if you can think of anything that I can do to help you, I'm happy to do that. But I'm also just here for you. And how do you deal with it? Because, I mean, you must hear it more often than a normal person like myself. I hear it from a friend, but since you're in the industry, you always deal with people that might be faced with this situation. So I'm guessing your occurrence of having to help people in that situation is very high compared to a person outside the industry. So how do you deal with it? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, miscarriage is around one in four pregnancies. One in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. Most of those are early on, but sometimes it is later and that's heartbreaking at any point, honestly. The way I deal with it, I find it to be an immense honor to be able to help people uh, during not just their best days, but, you know, what can be really, really difficult days or their worst days. And that's a privilege and I think a responsibility, but a privilege and an honor. Um, And that in itself uh, can be... I'm not a religious person, but I would consider that like a a kind of a calling uh, in that I know I can do it and I can do it well. And if I can make someone's worst day a bit better or more human or more empathetic, I will do what I can to do that. I made a decision early on that I didn't want that to be a reason why I would burn out or to become cold or hard against it which is a survival tactic for a lot of people uh, in this industry. But I made a decision early on that the way to not become cold and hard was, you know, you have to open yourself up. You have to feel what people feel. Um, And the only way to do that repeatedly and stay sane is therapy. So therapy is an absolute must because otherwise you either take on all the trauma of the world and combust or you close off and don't take in any but then you can't help people at the same level and because you obviously help people on the on the bad days that you mentioned but also on the on the positive days so it must be a very uh, strong contrast on have the best and the worst of both worlds sometimes a problem the same day yeah yeah and that's actually really hard sometimes you can go from one room where it's just 
trauma uh, into another room and to put on a, a smile and a congratulations. It's quite a lot to do and takes a lot of effort. So again, like giving anyone in this industry, they need to give themselves the grace to feel, to to be upset, to be sad, to to need therapy, to need time, to need time alone, uh, and to expect that these situations, the highest of highs, the most amazing ones change you, and the lowest of lows also change you, and change your worldview and your aspect. And I think ultimately for the better, we can be better people, the more we can understand and help in various ways in various industries but it, it doesn't come without work right the outliers really change right the, the highs and the lows as you mentioned are the ones that are more memorable and impactful and that's a really beautiful way to close it obviously this is a very complicated topic but i appreciate you touching lightly uh, on it and uh, our sympathy to anybody in that situation right so today Luis, you talk about like you say on the very top boobies bellies and babies is there anything under your boobies, bellies, and babies category that we didn't cover that you say, oh, I wish he asked me, or I wish we talk about X? Do you have anything that comes to mind that we should have covered today? You know, there is something that we're very uh, motivated to um, promote and discuss uh, lately, actually, which comes into general, uh, well, women's health in particular, but not just women's health. And that is um, we're part of a campaign with Ferguson Health. Uh, through Inwood with the cooperation of the community center to raise awareness and advocacy against uh, intimate partner abuse and domestic abuse and sexual assault. So this is something that we're very uh, proud to be a part of. Uh, sexual assault for women is considered to be about one in three women will be uh, a victim of sexual assault experience sexual assault or violence in her lifetime. And the st statistics for men are anything from one in seven to one in 10. It's more unreported. So it actually is probably higher than it's reported for and possibly the same for women too. So this is a huge thing and it affects not only in the acute situations, but lifelong uh, mental and physical health and uh, we're part of a campaign currently that is fundraising for uh, people who experienced sexual violence or intimate partner violence, which may not be physically violent. There are many uh, aspects of intimate partner violence. And we're providing through Focus on Health uh, with the help of this campaign and the fundraising to subsidize or pro bono uh, treatment for anybody who needs it, anyone who's experienced any of this has the right to come to us and say, I can't afford your care. Can you treat me anyway? And we'll do it. So this is something that we're super proud of at the moment um, because it is a huge need and uh, a very unspoken problem. So let's say somebody's in this situation and happens to be in Shanghai. What's the best way to reach out to the work that you and the Ferguson Health are doing? Is there like a special website or WeChat group or anything? Yeah, so they can reach out to us via Ferguson Health. Uh, they can reach out to Inwood uh, by their WeChat um, and also to the Community Center Shanghai. Uh, the Community Center Shanghai is an excellent resource for a lot of uh, expats in Shanghai, but they also have a very strong counseling program and they have counselors from all over the world 
including Chinese speaking. So there's somebody for everyone. And one of the parts of this uh, campaign is that uh, focus on health. We can uh, help with the physical uh, and medical aspects. And the community center will be providing uh, free or subsidized counseling uh, for covering the mental health aspects. And truly, they're not that uh, disparate. They do go hand in hand. Well, that's really amazing. And congratulations to you. And I don't know if anybody else from the Ferguson Clinic. I always learn so many things with you, Luis. And I'm always so inspired about what you're doing to change people's lives so profoundly. And uh, no long ago, when I saw you in the clinic, um, I think it's before my second daughter was born. And uh, you were telling us that sometimes you don't know how much you influence people's life. And yeah. I can definitely tell you, you change uh, my wife and my life, and I guess our daughters as consequently, because uh, we learned so much through your classes and we were so awakening by the knowledge that you share with us, especially about breastfeeding. So I'm really thankful that you took the time to do this chat with us today and yeah, we could broadcast it to the world and hopefully if we can help anybody else out there like you help us, that would be fantastic. So Luis, I've taken so much of your time today and it's been amazing. And I usually close with the same question for all the guests and that is, what are you most excited about the future? I'm excited about the future going back to the past. <laughs> That's a nice plot twist. I'm excited that we can look to our past and see how all of our behaviors in our own adult health, our children, how we can look at this lens of what worked and what didn't and then make a new future for all of us. Okay, so we're not gonna fix what, what wasn't broken, right? So that's a really nice way to close it. Uh, Luis, thank you so much for your time today. And as usual, I highly enjoy talking to you. You're so welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. If you like this conversation, please leave a comment and a rating wherever you get your podcast from. That will help like-minded people to discover the show. If you or anyone you know has an inspiring story and would like to be featured in the show, or if you simply want to reach us directly, our email is hi at kinsugi.com. Or you can hit me directly on Twitter at Alfonso underscore Comino. Thank you for listening. Adelante. <laughs>